My dearest Lucy, it has been a little over a week since I sent my last letter. And I do so know that it takes a long time for our letters to get there and back. But I'm still disappointed that the postman came this morning without any letters for me. But I know it is not because of you. I know it is just the difficulties of delivering mail backwards and forwards. Knowing my luck, the letter will arrive as soon as I have finished writing this letter. But I will add something on to the end if it does. I may even hold this letter back until I receive something from you. I don't want you to feel smothered by me. I never want you to feel smothered by me. I hate to start my letters in such a negative way. And I fear it will only get worse. You see, I've been having such terrible nightmares recently. Nightmares in which I am shown something happening, something awful, over and over again. Each time is different, if only ever so slightly. Like one decision was changed some time in the past, and I am seeing the ramifications of it in real time. One tiny change, which must have seemed inconsequential at the time changes the course of history forever. And it doesn't need to be you making the decision either. Something as simple as the route someone decided to take to work could change your day, which changes your week, your year, a whole spider web of decisions stretching back across the universe to the very first point of time. In my dreams, I am in the long hallway in the Pearson building, back at school. But instead of the philosophy in the sociology classrooms, there are more corridors, identical corridors, stretching on and on to eternity. In fact, me saying that it was a spider web decisions up, I think that was the best way to describe it spider's web. They look so small to us, the web of a spider, but when you're the prey, it must feel like it stretches on for eternity. And maybe, somewhere out there, there is a creature who is looking on at the corridors in my dream, and sees it as tiny, inconsequential and is amazed that I can get so lost inside. And I wonder if a spider's prey feels as trapped as I do. No matter how far I run, or how fast, I just get more lost by the second. I am not even sure if I am running towards or away from the fear. Not that I even know what I am afraid of. It's just this heavy, sinking feeling of dread that sits right on my chest and refuses to move. I feel it now, even thinking about it. Like something has followed me from my nightmare into the waking world, reminding me that nowhere is safe. 
my feet take me along the empty corridor, making that same knock that the real floor used to. It echoes along and reverberates back, and no matter how I try, I cannot use the sound to tell me how far I have been, or how far I have left. It is hard to consider eternity, Lucy, but I think in this dream I have found it. I think I could walk forever, oh well, until I woke up, and I would never find the end. Do you remember when we were young, and I fell out of the old oak in your garden? You were following that blue tortoise shell, when your mother told me that my curiosity would get me killed, as she wrapped my wrist in a bandage to stop it from moving until the doctor got there. I remembered your mother's voice when I finally opened one of the classroom doors. SO3 it was. It had the same scratch down the wood from when Teresa Bailey fell and gouged at it with her hairpin. But inside wasn't the usual classroom. Do you remember when we snuck into the movie theater to watch the kennel murder case? And there was that detective with his office and his suit and his whole demeanor. The room I was standing in looked like his office, but if a hurricane had ripped through it, it was dirty and ragged, stinking of alcohol and sweat and desperation. It might have been nice once, but well, it had been a long time since anyone would have walked into here and expected any kind of good service from the man behind the desk. The man who was stood now looking just as disheveled and worn out as his office was. If he saw me enter, he didn't show any sign of it, but in his defense, his attention seemed to be taken up by the other man, the other man who was stood opposite, holding a gun steadily at his head. He seemed familiar somehow, like I have seen him somewhere before. My brain could not figure out where. No matter how hard I tried, his name just could not come to mind. They were fighting, arguing about a woman named um, Isabel, about how she was dead and how nothing was worth it anymore. He was broken up, tears streaming from his eyes as he sobbed and cried. And the man opposite him didn't seem to care. A smug look on his face, even as he stared down the barrel of a gun. I am not ashamed to say my heart pounded in my ears, Lucy. My head swam with fear as I was rooted to the spot. I could do something about it. I should do something about this. A man's life hung in the balance, but I was too afraid to speak up, too afraid to stop it. 
and my punishment came soon after. When the man had finally had enough of that smug, smirking face and pulled the trigger. People always say that tragic events happen in slow motion, but I guess I never believed it until now. Because I saw that bullet fly, Lucy. Saw the rifling on the metal. Saw it start to spin. And I saw it pierce the scruffy man's head. The sudden look of fear and surprise crossing his features for just a second before the blast threw him down. Back floor. The first spray of blood decorated the dusty shelves behind him, followed by a slowly growing pool on the floor. I couldn't look away, as his eyes locked with mine, and for the first time since entering that room I felt truly seen. I watched the life leave a man's eyes, Lucy, and I know it wasn't real, but it felt real. I still remember it vividly, even now while I am writing this letter. A light there, behind his irises, that flickered out when the bullet had done too much damage to his brain. The man who pulled the trigger collapsed onto the floor, sobbing and wailing, and suddenly time sped back up again. Whatever it was magnetized my feet to that floor. It broke its connection then, and I ran. I turned out of that room back into the corridor, and I ran and ran and ran through what felt like miles of that same empty corridor, the same light streaming through the same windows, a place that felt so familiar to me, and yet ever so strange and alien, and then I stopped running. I don't remember why, but one moment I was running and the next I was just stood still, stood staring at the corridor, at the dust motes streaming through the air, and it all felt so normal. Curiosity will get you killed, Dorothy. Your mother said, so I reopened SO3. It was the same room, the same office as before, but this time it was different. This time the office was immaculately kept, bookshelves full of their intended inhabitants instead of empty bottles. The electric lights didn't even flicker. And the man behind the desk was spotless. Hair gelled back, 
a suit that looked pristine enough to marry in. The man who held the weapon before, the man I swear I recognized, wasn't faring so well. He was shoved to the floor, two men holding him down on his knees by his shoulders. He looked dejected, disheveled, a shadow of the man I saw before. They were arguing something, I don't know. Something in my brain was blocking up the words. But the tone told me the man on the floor was begging. Begging for his life. He obviously didn't beg hard enough. As the next thing I knew, the man behind the desk was raising his own gun, pressing it against his temple and pulling the trigger. Seeing someone's brains decorate the floor doesn't get any easier the second time. And I can tell you now, I must have spent days there, walking down the corridor, opening so many different versions of that office. In some of them, no one died. It was a meeting, a laugh between friends. In others, one or other of the men died, from gunshots to the head or chest or stomach. Sometimes they went quickly. Other times they begged and cried for their lives. That last room I went into, I, I wasn't sure what I was expecting. The detective was ruffled again, disheveled and desperate. But the other man was... It's hard to explain. He was still in richer clothes, smarter clothes, but they were mussed up, like he had fought his way up here. He was agitated too, like he wasn't sure where he was, didn't know which way was up. There was another gut shot this time, but instead of begging for his life, I watched as the detective crawled his way to the chair reached for a gun, shot the man right back. I listened to him croak his last words into an old tape recorder, telling a man on the other side that he loved him, that he was sorry. And then Peggy came into the room, told me I was going to be late for work, and made me blink that image, and all the images before it, from my eyes. Well, this letter has become a lot longer than I thought. Especially for one which was supposed to just be a filler while the post office drags its feet on delivering our letters. So I believe I will leave it here for now. In the hopes I will receive a letter from you soon. My apologies for how long I have prattled on about these dreams. But I hope you understand how much of a fright they gave me. 
I love you, Lucy. And I always will. Yours forever and always. Dottie. Lucy, I read this from my bed, at what time I am not sure, but I awoke from another nightmare, Lucy, and this time it was about you. I was in the same hallway I've been for the last few nights, getting bolder now and exploring the corridors and the doors. It has become less scary each night that I visit, and I worry that is what caused my issue tonight. You see, tonight something changed. Two doors. Two identical doors stood side by side. That same scar cut deep across both of them. I looked in the first door, Lucy. Something stopped me from being able to step inside. Nothing tangible. J just that voice in the back of my head that belongs to everyone and no one telling me to stand back and just watch. I saw you, Lucy. Sat down on the dirty floor of an even dirtier building. There was a man in your arms. A man that was dying. You were saying his name over and over, begging him to come along, to come with you, but I could tell. Even from where I was stood in the door, he wasn't going to be able to come. He looked like he'd been attacked by a wild animal, skin torn, bloody, as he whimpered his last words. And you cried for him, Lucy, clinging on to his jacket begging him to stay with you, begging him to stand up and run. You were holding on to one of those old-fashioned radios, begging someone called um, Mickey to send help, to send backup, to get you out of there. Whoever they are, they didn't reply. I heard you tell them to find me. Tell them to give me all of your letters and your tools. Tell them to let me know how much you love me. And that you really did wish we could have grown old together. Raised a family. Sat by the sea in our old age and watched the boats sail by. And then I saw it. The thing that killed the man on the floor. The thing that killed you. I saw it tear you apart. Heard your screams. The flesh being ripped from your bones. I watched as this monster. God, Lucy. I do not know how to describe it. 
as trying to find the words makes me sick to my stomach. The beast absorbed you, took my darling Lucy and twisted you into something ugly, something disgusting, but in a way that showed a ghost of what you used to be, as if it were taunting me, reminding me of what you used to be, of what it took away. I had to turn and leave. I had to turn and leave, Lucy. I couldn't see what it had done to you. But even as I did, I felt dirty. <laughs> like I was somehow abandoning you to your fate. <laughs> the other door. The identical door was already wide open by the time I stepped back. I didn't want to look inside. I didn't want to see what it wanted to show me. But the rest of the corridor was oppressive, like it was shrinking in, forcing me to see. There was no, nothing tangible forcing me. Just that same dark, a heavy feeling in my chest. A warning telling me that if I didn't listen then, then I don't know. Something bad will happen. So I looked through the other door. It was the same place. The same corridor as the one before. But it wasn't you there, and for a second, my heart was lifted immeasurably, until I realized I was about to witness someone die, and my stomach twisted. What kind of person am I? that I am fine watching someone die as long as that person is not you. The man inside was cowering, just as you were, praying in Hebrew. From my vantage point, I saw that monster. I saw it stalking him. And for a moment, I hoped that his prayer of protection might work. It didn't. Whatever that creature did to you, it did to him. I saw his bones twist and break. I heard the popping of sinew and creaking of a body being twisted in a way it was never meant to be twisted. The whole time he screamed and cried, begging to a god I am slowly losing faith in, to just let him die. But he didn't, not for a long time, not even when that thing dragged him out of sight. I stepped out of the room, 
turning around to head further down the corridor. But it wasn't there. Nothing was there, except the dark, empty expanse of a starless space. And that was when I realized. I couldn't tell you how. I just knew it in my bones. I knew that I had to choose. Choose which of these outcomes I wanted to happen. I didn't hesitate, Lucy. I went into the door where the man was still screaming. I gave his life for yours. I stepped into that cold corridor. I felt blood still warm on my bare feet. It smelt like rot, decay, and pure, unbridled fear. And from here, written in neat writing on a sign that lay broken on the floor. I could see a name. The Elephant's Heart. And I know that it's stupid, Lucy. I know that there is no chance anything like this will happen. But just... Just in case. Please, promise me. You'll never go to the Elephant's Heart. Promise me, Lucy.